Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 through 8 today. And I've titled it, The Soldier's Course. Let's open in prayer. Father, we truly come to you, helpless and dependent. We need you every hour. We need your strength, your mercy, your grace for everything that we do. We're thankful that we are your workmanship. We're thankful that you guide us and direct us. We're thankful that when we go through trials and storms, knowing you're in control, we can be thankful. And if we lack wisdom, we can ask and you give generously. We're thankful that you're mindful of us. And if you're for us, who could ever be against us? God, pour your spirit upon us. Cause us to just meditate upon your word and hide it in our hearts. Change us as we sit at your feet today. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. We've titled it, The Soldier's Course. Let's read our text together. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Years ago, there was a man named Erasmus of Rotterdam. And when he was growing old, he said, I'm a veteran, and I've earned my discharge and I must leave the fighting to a younger man. Not much different for the Apostle Paul, an aged warrior. And at the end of his life, when he was about to lay down his arms for the younger disciple, Timothy, who would pick up those arms and would continue the race that Paul had started. See, from the time that Paul was converted, he knew that he had a special calling, unique calling. He had determined something very important that I think each of us need to make that same decision. See, he determined to put his hand to the plow and not turn back. He had determined to finish that race. Acts 9.15, notice what it says. But the Lord said to me, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, and to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. See, Paul was a, a chosen instrument, and he was to bear the name, his name, 
the name of Jesus Christ before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And he would suffer. And I believe likewise, each of us here today are a chosen instrument in some way. God has prepared good works for you and me before the foundation of the world. And we have a choice to put our hand to the plow and press on to charge toward that finish line to become everything that God would have us be, to recognize that God has placed us in here, this place, this city, for such a time as this. Oh, think, there was Queen Esther. She had a calling too. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, the guardian, recognized Esther's calling. And he said to Esther, perhaps for such a time as this, see, her calling would, would save the Jewish people, her ministry consisted only two days. You have a calling and I have a calling. But there's also the prophet Haggai. His ministry was only two months. And then there's Paul that we're looking at today. He knew his calling and he took it seriously. And you and I have a calling. We're called to, to go out and bring the great commission. We're called to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus, to minister to a lost world, to minister to one another, to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul said in Philippians 2.16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in life. Paul, again, very clear, he had a purpose. He didn't want to run in vain. He didn't want it to be a waste of time. He held fast to the word of life. And there's the example for you and me that we need to hold fast to the word. The word is our plumb line. It shows us what's right, what's wrong, how to get right and stay right. It reveals the very will and heart of God for you and me. So each of us here have a, a calling. First, the calling is to call us out of this world, and then it calls us unto Jesus Christ. Next, we're sent to do the good works that, again, they're prepared before the foundation of the world. And this involves that we would give ourselves completely to the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory and for his purposes. Now, notice closely Paul's words in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. See that word already? It, it means it's, it's happening. It, it's this moment. It also means that his death is imminent. He knows in the end everything that he's going through will bring him to that point that he goes to be with the Lord. Now there's a Greek word, spindo. It's the verb found only twice. The term is metamorphical, indicating the idea is being offered up, poured out as a drink offering. Paul was giving his life completely. He was a living sacrifice. Again, look at Philippians 2.17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. 
He knows his life is being given, and he enjoys it because he knows he's giving himself to the king. You know, when a, a, a man and a woman become husband and wife, I don't think there's any greater gift in the beginning than to give yourself to one another. You've already given yourself to the Lord, but now you need to give yourself to that other person for that person and that person only. And Paul has given himself an, unto the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Use me as Isaiah would say. See, the apostle uses this incredibly beautiful illustration to describe the service of the Philippians and himself included. He borrowed the, the picture from the, the common practice that was both among the Jews and the pagans. The pouring out of a, a drink offering or a, a libation over the sacrifice as it was being offered. And for Paul, he was happy to be poured out in martyrdom on the sacrifice, the service of faith. He knew it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. He knew it blessed the Lord. His desire was to live for the Lord, to please the Lord, to honor the Lord because he knew what the Lord had done for him. So he wrote again in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm already being poured out. It's, it's ongoing experience out upon the drink offering. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. Without any reservations, Paul says, I'm ready to be offered. Here I am, Lord. He was longing to be with the Lord. He was longing to see what God had done through him all of these years. He was longing to see the kingdom come as it is in heaven on earth and see what God was going to accomplish. So his choice, his decision was like Romans 12.1, which he wrote, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, what I like about it, Paul's writing, no matter where you find it, Paul says, this is what we do. This is who we are. He doesn't say, do as I say, not as I do. No, he does it, and he says, do what I do. Follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Paul was a, a living example to those who would follow. Just as he followed Jesus Christ, he then wanted others to follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. See, Paul used the same picture in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 7 and 8. See, in effect, that Paul was saying, Caesar's not going to kill me. I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. I've been living as a sacrifice, serving him since the day I was saved, and now... I will complete the sacrifice by laying down my life for him. Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross to die for you and for me. Willingly laid down his life. 
this is the life that we are to live. We are to, to follow Christ. We are to follow Paul as he follows Christ, to, to follow the pastor, to follow your husband, to follow your mom, your dad, as they live this life before you. This is what a Christian life looks like. Anything less is either a carnal believer or, or one who's not a believer, a professing believer who's never really committed themselves to Jesus Christ. Some people only make a profession, but they don't possess that vital relationship with, with Jesus Christ. See, when you possess that relationship with him, when you're in that love relationship, when you know that love, you willingly will give yourself completely. There's no reservations. There's no regrets. You simply give yourself. Because he loves you with this everlasting love. Polycarp, one of the early church leaders, understood it very well. And he said this when facing his martyrdom. Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the king, my savior? See, Polycarp's martyrdom. And it was on his, on his farewell, he said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour. So then the company of the martyrs I may share in the cup of Christ. Polycarp knew that love of God. And he gave his life, his love for the Lord and Savior. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, the time of my departure has come. Now, that, that, that word departure means a unloosening. It's a, it's a military term. It's, it's used in the breaking up of an encampment. It, it pictures the loosening of the tent stakes to break up that camp. Paul truly was a, a pilgrim at heart when you think about it. This world really wasn't his home. In fact, he was looking forward to pulling up his stakes and, and moving on to heaven. See, the moment a person's born again, they have eternal life, and it's only just begun. This physical life, as you know it here and I, is just like vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But yet, there is a life that you will live a quality of life and all eternity with the King of Kings. This is what we're, you and I are being prepared for. This is why when a Christian dies, they close their eyes in this world. To be absent the body, they're present with the Lord. There is a joy. It's a celebration. It's a, a graduation. To go on to this world that you and I have been prepared for. We were born for this very reason. To die and go and be with Jesus Christ. So then, if there's life after death, and you truly know him, you have this assurance in your heart. Uh, whom shall we fear? What should we fear in this life? Because see, God is on the throne. Now, Paul goes on, and there's a, a conflict that, yes, he needed to fight, and, and that's what he says in verse 7, I, I fought the good fight. 
You probably heard the phrase, choose your battles wisely. See, the origins may have even come from this verse. Sadly, sometimes we're fighting over foolish things, wrangling over words, as the Scripture says. There are some things that are worth fighting for, and there are many that are worth turning away. There are many, if you fight for, you will drag Jesus Christ through the mud. See, the fight of good fight is that of the faith. Turning away from godless chatter, opposing ideas, that falsely called knowledge, we find that in 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 and 20. But notice Paul didn't just fight. But his fight was a good fight, and he gave his all. He wasn't fighting with the brethren on the issues that really didn't matter and preferences that so often we see among the the body of Christ. No, the word good speaks of that which is worthy, honorable, noble, commendable. See, Paul's ministry was never occupied with promoting personalities or uh, preferences. No, no. What mattered was the things of eternal value. The sound biblical doctrine. He fought to see souls saved, snatched out of the fire, that the Christians would be discipled, the churches would be planted, that God would be glorified. These things were all worth fighting for. We must be wise too. We must be careful to pick and choose our battles. Sometimes we fight to win and only lose. Only what matters eternally is what's important. Notice again in verse 7, Paul has a, a, a wonderful thought here. He says, I finish the course. Paul's course was finished. This is the language of, of a runner running a race, completing for the prize. Paul's in it to win. Paul had focused his eyes upon the author and finisher of the faith. He, he's looking at the end. He's looking where he's going. Now, it certainly had been difficult, the, the trials, the temptations. Yet he had remained faithful to the Lord, the Savior, through his life. How did he do that? by continually thrusting himself upon the Lord, crying out, Lord, I, I need you. By praying and getting in the word, by ministering, not thinking about himself, but esteeming others higher than himself. And by doing these things and other things, he had finished the course. Sadly, though, Many start a race but never finish. Because it's easier to, to quit than finish a race. That's why there's so many quitters. It's easy to start, but hard to finish. On well, Luke nine sixty two. But Jesus said, No one, after putting his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Paul understood these words. He put his hand to the plow and, and didn't turn back. 
See, Paul had determined to finish the course right from the very beginning. There was no turning back. It wasn't even an option. Paul set his eyes, as I mentioned, upon the author and the finisher of his faith. He set his eyes upon the finish line. He set it on heaven. He longed to hear those words, good and faithful servants, so he pressed on. See, that's what it takes is to set our eyes upon the author and finisher of faith, that, that finish line, where we're going to go, who we're going to be with. I think we get a glimpse into to Paul's heart, what God was doing in his heart in Acts 20, verse 24. Notice what it says, but I do not consider my life as any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly the, the gospel of the grace of God. Perhaps the most famous Race in the world was the marathon. Oh, that is the the battle of the marathon that was such a decisive battle of the world. In it, the Greeks had met the Persians. And if the Persians had conquered, the glory was Greece would never have flowered upon the world. Against the fearful odds, the Greeks won the victory. And after the battle, the a Greek soldier ran all the way, day and night, to Athens with the news. Straight to the, the magistrates, he ran. Rejoice, he gasped. We have conquered. Even as he delivered the message, he fell dead. He had done his work. There was no finer way for any man to die than to finish the race well. Likewise, Paul knew that he'd finished the race, the race that God had called. He finished the race the way that God had called him to do. He did it in the power of the Spirit, not in the power of the flesh. Not in the wisdom of man, but with the wisdom of God. Look at verse 7 again. I've kept the faith. See, Paul's conviction... It was final. In everything he did, he, he made a final decision. He put his hand to the plow. He refused to turn back. See, Paul's concern was, was not his greatness. It wasn't his rights or his accomplishments, his earnings, even, even his life. When it came down to it, there was only one thing that mattered. That was the preaching of Christ. That was his main concern for the faith. And he did this right up to the time that he was beheaded. See, Paul was a man of faith. Paul had a great faith. Many had found great encouragement in him. There's another man named Hudson Taylor, Inland China Ministries. Went into China, ministered become like the Chinese so he could minister to the Chinese. He believed that God would provide all of his needs in Christ Jesus and trusted him. And, and while the world laughed, God provided time and time again for him. 
one time he went down to Australia, he was asked to speak. They introduced him as this illustrious man of faith. And it shocked the people, shut their mouths. He comes out embarrassed, and he said, it's not hard to be faithful when my master has been so faithful to me. See, he pointed the glory back to God. If you're faithful today, it's because you've thrust yourself upon Jesus Christ. If you're not faithful today, you need to thrust yourself upon Jesus Christ because he will sustain you. He will keep you. He will empower you. He will give you the grace you need if you only look to him. See, Paul said to Timothy, the young preacher who was following in his footsteps, I have kept the faith. The faith spoken of here is really the entire revelation of of God. It's the, the whole body of truth that's contained in the Word of God, the whole counsel of God's Word. It's important that we are, are not just New Testament Christians, we're Old Testament Christians. It's the whole Word of God that comes together. The, the Old Testament's revealed in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. He is a God of mercy and grace, and He loves us, and we are the apple of His eye. It's in Jude 3 that we're commanded earnestly to contend for the faith that once and for all was given to the saints. And yet there are those today, they're still trying to add to the Bible. Now that word there in Jude 3, the word contend means to strive against, to struggle with the opposition. Standing for the faith that's once and for all given to the saints. Paul knew that, and that's why he brought the word. The, the power is not in, in the person, the apostle, that's, that's sharing it. The power, the authority is in the word of God himself, and, and that's why he brought the whole word. So he contended. Now, it, it comes from a military word that speaks of strenuous, intense, determined struggle to conquer the enemy. And, and the way we go forth is with the word of God in prayer. There are enemies who would destroy the faith if they could. And again, this is one of the battles that Paul stood very firmly in. He would not recant, like Polycarp would not recant. He stood against the enemy. He earnestly contended for the faith, and Paul said, I've kept that faith. He did it when he stood before Felix. He kept the faith in Acts 24. When he stood before Agrippa, he kept the faith. When Paul faced the officials in Rome, he kept the faith in Acts 22. Paul confronted Peter. He kept the faith in Galatians 2.11. See, when it came down to the fundamental doctrines of the Word of God, Paul never gave an inch. He was a soldier. He chose and picked his battles very carefully, and the battle that he chose is to stand for what God has said in the whole counsel of God's Word. We can praise God for Paul and and others that have stood like him, faithful servants, 
in each and every generation, people we can look to and thank God for and say, I want to be like them. I want to follow them as they follow Christ. Look in verse 8, we, we see something else. Paul says, in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me. It says again, in verse 8, in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. Let me ask you a question. Do you love his peering? Are you looking for his peering? Wouldn't this be a wonderful day for the Lord to come? To take you, take me, take our children, grandchildren, all to be with him? See, Paul was knew there was a crown laid up. It was a crown of righteousness. He knew that God was the one that made him faithful. He just thrusted himself upon God, and, and, and God had prepared these good works for him, but God would enable him to do it. He just had to trust God. I like C.T. Studd, a quote he said, Only one life till soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Isn't that so true? Only what you do in this life for Christ will, will go into eternity. Some have likened that, uh, again, the, that you're sending up. These are your rewards. You're sending them up to build and prepare a mansion. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that God sees this. God will reward you for this. And Paul wasn't looking just for the reward other than just hearing those words, good and faithful servant. Like Polycarp, he knew that God had been so faithful, had kept him time and time again. His confidence was not in what he did. His confidence is what God had done and what God was doing and what God was going to do. Let me read about C.T. Studd again. He was born in England in 1860 into a wealthy family. As a young man, he was outstanding county and all-England cricketer. He was a freshman in Trinity College, Cambridge. In 1879 and 1880, he studied a degree for law, but he forsook his pursuit of law to follow Christ to China. See, he served in China and India for 21 years. He then returned home broken in health, but soon he heard the Lord's call. It's time to go to Africa. At age 53, he set out on a missionary journey to Africa. Some questioned why would he go to Africa in light of his age and the circumstances of his life. But he penned these words in answer to those questions. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. See, there's a great reward that awaits for those who finish the race. Have you thought about it? How will you finish the race? Will you hear those words, good and faithful servant? Or are you just 
looking to get in by the skin of your teeth or hoping you're going to get in. When Paul spoke of his crown, he, he had that assurance, he had that peace. In fact, the word of God speaks of five different crowns awarded to the believers. Let me call your attention to them. The first one is an incorruptible crown. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9.25. This reward is given for the mastery of one's body and keeping under subjection. This is the victor's crown will be awarded to those who have been faithful and endured sacrifice and self-denial. There's also the crown of rejoicing. We find that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. This is the reward for winning souls to Christ, to given to believers for the faithfulness and reaching others for Christ. Well, thirdly, there's a crown of righteousness. This is the one that Paul speaks about in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 4 through 8. This is uh, for those who love and long for his second coming. They live in the grace of God. Long for the coming of the Lord. Coming to see his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. To see the, the peace in Jerusalem that we're called to, to pray for. To see God's will in each other's lives in this world, in this city. Well, there's also the, the crown of glory. We find that in 1 Peter 4. This is the reward God gives to those who love and feed his people. Love, remember, is that mark of a Christian. You can't see someone in need and, and, and turn away if you have the means to provide for him. This love is a, a sacrificial love, in fact. And finally, the fifth thing that we see is the crown of life that's mentioned in Revelation 2 and James 1. This crown is rewarded, again, for receiving, for enduring temptation, for patiently suffering persecution for Christ's sake. It's referred to many as what's called the martyr's crown. See, these crowns will be given to the, the, the Christians right after the church is caught up to be with the Lord forever. And I believe that we're going to take these crowns just in amazement and, and even shock and, and cast these crowns back to God because we know we're not worthy. He's the one that makes us worthy. He's the one that makes us faithful when we turn to him. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run the race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you win. See, we run to win. Win the, the prize, the reward, to hear those words, good and faithful servant. Not to put someone else down, but we take seriously our calling, the place that God has put us in. I use the expression that we're to bloom where God has put us. You and I have born for such a time as this. There's a work around us that God wants you and I to, to do. Look with me in 
Hebrews. I, I, I love what the author writes there in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race which is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Father's throne. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father as the Father sits on the throne. The exhortation here, there's several, but I want to only call your attention to one, is set aside the sin that entangles us. And if we do that, we can run the race in endurance. We'll finish the race well. We'll hear those words, good and faithful servant. When we put our eyes on the prize, and Jesus Christ is that prize. Let me read from Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sit upon the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and they will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and because of your will they existed and they were created. This is a scene from heaven. Every true believer in the church will be here. We'll see these things happening before our eyes. And just as they cast their crowns, we will cast our crowns before him. Oh, in every generation, there have been those who have caught that vision, who understand that love of God, who have given their lives completely. Listen as I read a man named William Borden See, he graduated from Chicago High School in 1904. He was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. He was already a millionaire, and as a graduation present, his parents bought him a trip around the world. As Borden traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he developed a great burden for people. He wrote to his parents, informed them that he was going to, to give his life as a missionary. After making that decision, William wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Well, Borden next went to Yale, and upon graduating, he turned down some high-paying job offers. He wrote two more words in his Bible, no retreats. From there, he went on to do graduate work at Princeton Seminary. He stopped first in in Egypt to study Arabic. And while in Egypt, he came down with spinal meningitis. Within a month, the 25-year-old William Borden was dead. Borden had not only given his wealth, but himself. And when his parents received the son's belongings... They were tremendously encouraged by their personal notes that he had pinned in the back of his Bible. Just before his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats, it handwritten, 
no regrets. The person who gives his life completely and totally to Jesus Christ truly is a, a bond servant. He will find that there are no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. And he will be one of the happiest men in the world. Because he's willing to pour his own life out for the one who poured his life out for him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of the word. Thank you for those that have gone before us that we can look at and, and say, we want to follow them as they followed Christ. We want to honor you today. We want to give ourselves completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for opening our eyes and our hearts. We pray for those we know that do not know you, that you would open up their eyes and their hearts, that you would draw them with cords of love, that you would use us for your glory. You would fill us with joy and love and peace. And thank you that you will sustain us and keep us until that day. And all God's people said, Amen.